You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to meet me back there, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, As we are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians, Paul is shifting gears a bit. If you've been with us in the first uh, four chapters, he's been talking about divisions and disunity in the church. And he's trying to bring some renovation there to their way of thinking about themselves and their way of thinking about one another. And now after four chapters, he finally puts that issue to rest and he shifts gears. And in chapters five and in chapter six, Paul is going to begin to address some specific sins that have become prevalent in the church in Corinth. He calls these immoralities. And he is not happy to have gotten word about these things. Um, Most importantly, though, if we're going to rightly understand this text, Paul is not happy to have gotten word, not only that these specific sins are prevalent in the church, but that these specific sins have gone on unaddressed in the church. This is really the heart of Paul's writing. Anybody here own a pool? Any pool owners? Raise your hand, out yourselves, okay? We know whose house to go to in the triple-digit temps this week. Um, If you own a pool or if you've maybe in the past owned a pool, what happens if you let the pool go untreated for even a couple of weeks? What happens? Yeah, that beautiful, crystal-clear pool water all of a sudden starts to look like Southeast Texas lake water, you know, (laughs) green and brown. Algae and bacteria takes over. I think this is the image that might help us understand the urgency that Paul is writing with. There's this principle that is true, and it's that sin that goes unaddressed grows. Sin that goes unaddressed grows, and where sin grows, sin destroys, like weeds in a lawn, like algae in a pool, like cancer in the body, where sin goes unaddressed, it grows, and where sin grows, sin destroys. Therefore, we must take sin seriously. This is why Paul is writing. He is, in this chapter, shocking the pool. You know, it makes your, you get in, your eyes are blurry. You know, you can smell it. He's shocking the pool. He's giving a strong rebuke. He's calling for church discipline. He's even saying um, there's this sinful brother and and he needs to be removed from the church. In verse five, he says he needs to be removed because he's so unwilling to repent. He's so callous in his heart. He's so uh, irreverent toward Christ. He needs to be removed for the sake of his repentance is what he says at the end of chapter five. Hand him over to Satan. That's strong language. He's basically saying he doesn't want to follow Christ anyway. He wants to pursue the path of sin, and so let him be Satan's with the hopes that he will see how destructive sin is and come back to the sweetness of his Savior, Christ. That's what he's saying in verse 5. Sin is serious. Because sin is serious, and Paul loves these brothers and sisters, he speaks the truth, even hard, harsh truth, because that is what love does. This one I show you this morning in this text. The seriousness of sin and the seriousness of love. Seriousness of sin and the seriousness of love. First, the seriousness of sin. Two things here. First is that if sin goes unaddressed, because it is serious, 
it will destroy your life. Sin that goes unaddressed will destroy your life. Well, first of all, what is sin? What is sin? Well, this could be its own sermon series. We could have multiple sermons answering this question. Let me give you uh, the simplest, uh, uh, what I think is the simplest definition from a holistic uh, reading of the Bible. What is sin? I think sin is life outside of God's good rule. Who is God? He's the creator. He's the maker. And he calls us to live under his good rule. Life under God's good rule leads to flourishing. He's the creator. He's the maker. Sin is life outside of God's good rule. We see it in the fall in Genesis 3, don't we? Wanting life outside of God's good rule. And where does it lead? It leads to death. It leads to destruction. Sin is fundamentally an orientation of the heart away from God and towards self. It's a desire to want to run our own lives, to want to rule our own joy, right? Adam and Eve think they know what will truly make them happy. Want to run our own lives, rule our own joy. It's to want to seek our own glory. And what is the result of sin? Well, life does not work when we live outside of God's good rule. He's the creator. He's the ruler. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. You see, sin looks good on the outside. It offers short-term pleasure, but in the end it always destroys. This is what's true. Sin corrupts us. Sin erodes our joy. Sin destroys our lives. Do you believe this? Have you experienced this? Have you experienced how sin leads to death in your life? I'm sure that you have. It's probably what caused you to turn to Christ in the first place. It's likely what causes you to continue to turn back to Christ for forgiveness and grace again and again, because sin destroys. That's why it must be addressed. And word has come to Paul that sin of the most destructive type, sexual sin, we'll talk about this in two weeks. Paul actually says that, that while no sin is, uh, all sin are equal, right? It's not like, you know, there's a, a bad, worse, and worser kind of sins before God. All sins are equal, but some sins are certainly more destructive than other sins. And you know this. Um, you could tell a lie in the workplace and um, the truth comes out, and you could be ashamed and embarrassed. You can, um, you can let sin go unchecked in your heart and in your mind, and you can start to uh, let desires run wild and flirting here and there, and it can lead to adultery, and you can literally ruin your life and destroy your family. Some sins are more destructive than others. And so Paul gets word that this extreme, destructive, sexual sin is being tolerated among the Corinthian church. Look back at verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. It's actually reported, Paul's saying, I'm shocked to get word of this. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. And that's saying a lot because the culture in Corinth is crazy. And we'll talk about this in two weeks. It's a sexually immoral culture, much like ours today. He said, it's not even tolerated among pagans for a man has his father's wife. This is the sin of incest. And most scholars will say that this was likely the man's stepmother and that it was likely a man of power and status. In other words, it's about, it's about unchecked and uncontrolled power. I have status, and we've seen that over the first four chapters, where status is an issue in Corinthian culture that's leading to divisions in the church. So it's this man of status that has this attitude of, I have power and I can have whomever I want. Do you see why Paul would be so uh, upset here? Paul makes it clear, this kind of 
sexuality is so unfitting for a Christian. It's even unfitting for pagans. Pagans would even look down upon this. This is not to be tolerated among God's people. This is not the way of Jesus as it relates to sexuality, which in two weeks we will talk about what is the way of Jesus as it relates to sexuality. But Paul is saying it's certainly not this. This is extreme immorality. This is destructive. He needs to be removed from the church because he's unwilling to repent. But here's what I want you to notice. If we're really going to understand the heart of this passage today, here's what I want you to see. It's not just this one man's sin that troubles Paul. It's not just him addressing this one man. Paul is addressing the entire church. Paul is upset about not just this one man's sin, but the entire congregation's attitude towards sin, that they've allowed this to go unaddressed. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? In verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church the whole church. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You see, the heart of this text, the problem in this text, is that the church, the whole church, has gotten so relaxed with sin, so comfortable with it, even boasting in it, thinking that they are enlightened and elite because they don't condemn or correct or call out sin that is sin. And there's no doubt that if they're letting something like this go on, go uncorrected, out in the open, willful sin, if they're letting that go out, go on, uncorrected, then there is no doubt that their, that their attitude to, and posture towards sin as a whole is lackadaisical. Paul says you ought to be mourning sins in our lives, sins in the lives of our brothers and sisters ought to break our hearts. We ought to hate sin. We ought to, we ought to hate what it does to people and how destructive it is and how deceitful temptation can be. We ought to mourn sin, not cozy up with it. It ought to grieve your soul. You ought to hate it, not celebrate it. And I think this text, when rightly understood, actually invites us to look into the mirror as a congregation. I think it invites us to ask ourselves about our own posture towards sin. Have we, have I, have you cozied up with sin in your life? Does, does sin break your heart? Do you mourn it? Do you hate it? Do you, do you hate how people get duped and how their lives get destroyed by sin and temptation? Do you hate it? Or have you grown tolerant of sin, casual with sin, cozy with sin, even accepting it? And affirming it. You see, Paul loves them too much not to address the seriousness of sin in their congregation because when sin goes unaddressed, sin destroys. I want you to know that the work of pastoring can be full of joys and it can be full of sorrows. It can be full of joys. You celebrate uh, seeing people come to Christ and baptisms and seeing people grow in their faith and seeing people reconciled with one another and walking in the ways of Jesus. It can be full of joys and it can be full of sorrows, pastoring can. You sit with people in suffering. You walk with people in sorrow. And you might not know this, but last summer was a summer full of walking with people in sorrow for us as a pastoral team. It was a difficult summer. Um, 
And a lot of the sorrows that we walked with people through were self-induced. They were self-induced sorrows. They were brothers and sisters in Christ who had not taken sin in their life seriously. And so their lives were imploding as a result. Why? Because when sin goes unaddressed, what does sin do? It destroys. And so their lives were imploding because they had not taken sin seriously in their life. And shrapnel was flying and it was hitting other people that they love. And it was a difficult summer of walking with people through sin. And there was one particular meeting that myself and one of our other elders had where we were sitting with a brother in Christ and we were pleading with him for repentance, pleading with him to take sin seriously. And as the meeting went on, it became clear that he wasn't really going to acknowledge the, the full weight of his sins. Like there was some sorrow over sin. There wasn't real repentance. It was like, yeah, I recognize that I've made some mistakes. And I've hurt a lot of people. But there wasn't real repentance where sin was being taken seriously. There certainly wasn't turning away from it and turning to Christ. And, and one of the other elders looked at him compassionately with love. And he said to him, he said, brother, I believe that you're a Christian. I do. I have no doubt that you're a Christian. And I, I, I believe that, that you're in Christ and Christ is in you, but I also believe that you're being deceived. And then he looked at him with compassion in his eyes and truth in his heart. And he said to him, I want you to know something. Jesus can save your soul, brother, but sin can still ruin your life. And it was a powerful moment. And I want you to hear that principle today. Sin is serious. Jesus can save your soul, and he will. But sin will still ruin your life if you allow it to go unaddressed. Do you understand this? Do you see the destructiveness of sin? We must take it seriously. We cannot cozy up with it. And we certainly ought not to affirm it in others. Sin that, gets, that goes unaddressed grows and destroys. I want you to see what Paul says next. Look at verse 6 through 8. There's another reason that we ought to take sin seriously, and his name is Jesus Christ. Verse 6 through 8, he says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are. Underline that if you're a Bible underliner, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us, therefore, celebrate the festival. Not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What is Paul doing here? Well, he's using an Old Testament image to point to how seriously God has taken sin. <laughs> Do you see how seriously God has taken sin? We ought to as well. It cost him his own son. Christ, our Passover lamb. I want to try and help us understand this image. What is leaven? He's talking about leavened bread and unleavened bread. Anybody ever made sourdough bread? Anybody? Yeah, okay. So you kind of know how that works where you, you, know, you save part of the bread for the next batch and you pass it on for the next batch. Similar. This is similar of how uh, leavened bread would work. <clears throat> leaven is a bacteria. It's ferment, fermented dough. And just a little bit of it mixed in with the other dough starts to spread. And it's what causes the dough to rise and to puff up. So I think you can kind of see the imagery here that Paul is playing on, a familiar image, maybe like algae in a pool. Paul is giving a familiar image. When we get casual with sin, even just a little bit in our lives or in our church, it spreads and it grows. What else does it do? It puffs up. And then we view ourselves and our church through the eyes of pride, not through the eyes of humility and repentance. A little bit of it grows. Another thing that's important about leaven is that 
every year at the Passover feast, God would require his people to throw out all the old leaven and they would start fresh. It was a, it was a sign of purification. And so they would get rid of their old leaven, the Passover feast, when they would celebrate and remember how God rescued them out of slavery and out of bondage. They would recall the blood of the lamb that was their rescuer. It was a time of purification for God's people where sins would be um, atoned for on the day of atonement. And they would eat unleavened bread. Do you see the picture here? It's like, it's this idea of purification. We're going to get that uh, bacteria out. We're going to start fresh with God. And Paul is saying, that's what he's saying here. Um, uh, Do you see what he's saying? Christ is our Passover lamb. Christ has purified you, Christians, from sin. He was the one that was thrown out so that you wouldn't have to be because of your sin. He was the one that was destroyed on the cross by sin's penalty so that your life doesn't have to be destroyed by sin's penalty and sin's consequences, sin's power. Saying Christ was our Passover lamb. You are unleavened. He's saying you are pure. You are forgiven. You are holy. You are his. You belong to him. That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So why are you going back to sin? Why are you willfully sinning? Why are you walking down the path that leads to death? And why are you allowing others to do so? Verse 8, he says, let us, therefore, celebrate the festival. He says, don't go back to the sin. Don't go back to unleavened bread. You're, to leavened bread, you're unleavened, he says. Celebrate the festival. Honor Christ, our Redeemer. And we do this with our lives as we walk in what he says, sincerity and truth. We walk in obedience unto the Lord. You see, here's the point. We ought to take sin seriously, not just because what it does to us, but because what God has done for us in Christ. We ought to take sin seriously, not just because what it does to us, but because what it's done to Jesus and what Jesus has done for us to free us from our sin. And so sin is seriously. It must not go unaddressed. But Paul makes a second point in this text as he's talking about the seriousness of sin. And and the second point is this is that when sin goes unaddressed, not only does it destroy our lives, are we walking back down the path that Jesus has rescued us from, which is foolish, but when sin goes unaddressed, it ruins our witness as his people. This is the second point that he makes. It ruins our witness. Not only does Paul love these brothers and sisters, but he loves the city of Corinth. That's one thing we have to understand about the urgency that Paul is writing with. He loves the city of Corinth. Why does he love Corinth? Well, he loves Corinth because God loves Corinth. And God sent him to Corinth to proclaim the gospel, to see people set free from sin and death and live to Christ, live life in his kingdom. Paul loves Corinth because God loves Corinth, as God loves every corner of the earth. And because he loves every corner of the earth, God wants a healthy church in every place that is proclaiming the good news of Jesus, that is embodying and acting the good news of Jesus, that is displaying the life of Christ and his kingdom. So Paul is saying here that the problem is not out there. The real problem is in here. Because if we continue to let sin go unaddressed, if we continue to cozy up with sin, what good news, what life of Christ do we have to share? Look what he says in verses 9 through 13. He says, I wrote you in my letter, which by the way, 
Uh, 1 Corinthians is not really 1 Corinthians. I know this is confusing. There's actually another Corinthian letter. We don't have it. He references it multiple times. But this is the 1 Corinthians that we actually have. But he's referencing this other letter that he wrote to them. And this is what Paul would do. He would plant a church. He would establish a church. He would see the fruit of the gospel and the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And then he moved on to plant a new church. And he would write letters or he would send uh, co-workers to strengthen the church to continue to teach them. And so who knows how many letters he had sent, teaching them, discipling them, training them. But obviously he sent them another letter. And so he says, I wrote you in my other letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Look at this verse 10. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. Since then, you would need to get out of the world. Right? What is God's plan for us as his people? God's purpose for us as his people? His plan and his purpose for us is that we would be in the world, but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that lingo before. That we would rub shoulders with other people who are suffering and struggling and who are dead in their sin and who are living the, the, the bankrupt life of the world that always promises but never delivers. Where we work, where we live, where we go to school. That we would be salt and light. We would be evidences of the redemption of Jesus Christ. What Jesus can do for me, he can do for you. That's his purpose and his plan for us. And so Paul is saying, I didn't at all mean don't, don't associate with sinners out there. That's, that's actually the, my purpose. Jesus' purpose for you is that you would be in the world. I don't want you to get out of the world. I don't want you to run for the hills. I want you to be in the world. But look what he says in verse 11. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunker, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Do you see how seriously he's taking sin? And again, remember the context. This is extreme sin that has gone on for a period of time unaddressed. And so there's a seriousness here that he's saying, don't even associate with those people. For what have I to do with judging others? It is not those inside the church whom you are to uh, inside the church whom you are to is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So, do you see the concern from Paul here about their witness in the world? Do you see it? He isn't worried about sinners out there. He's worried about the sin in here. We ought to be most concerned about the sin in here. In other words, let me, let me simplify this. Holiness matters, church. Holiness matters. Holiness in your life matters. Holiness, our collective holiness as a congregation matters. Holiness is not a dirty word. Some of us have thrown out holiness because we don't want to look like a fundamentalist. Holiness matters if we're going to be God's missional people. God wants a distinct people, a holy people. A people marked by his grace and a people marked by his truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. That we embody his grace and we live his truth. Holiness matters. And I want to be clear, what Paul is not talking about here is he's not talking about just kind of stumbling into sin, right? We, we are all weak people. We are all strugglers. We're sinners and we're saints simultaneously. That's the paradox of the Christian life. That's what it means to be growing in sanctification. He's not talking about struggling with temptation and stumbling into sin. A, a heart that is alive to Christ and that is humble toward Christ will repent when we stumble into sin. He's talking about willful sin. He's talking about not taking sin seriously. That's what he's talking about. Ignoring sin, accepting sin. When this happens, we lose 
our saltiness. We lose our light. We lose our witness. Listen, church family, I just want to say this. If we want to be a church that loves our city and that is reaching people in our city, we must take holiness seriously. We must take it seriously in our own lives, and we must take it seriously in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And so what does this look like? What does it look like for us to take the principle of this text, that sin is serious, that it destroys our lives, we ought not accept it or, or cozy up with it or affirm it, it destroys our witness, we ought to take holiness seriously collectively, what does that look like for us to do that, right? Paul shown, has shown us in this text, this text is negative. <laughs> this text is like, you need renovation. What does it look like in the positive? Well, Paul doesn't give it to us here in 1 Corinthians, but he does give it to us in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that because sin is seriously, because the world is deceptive, he talks about crafty and cunning deceptions of the enemy, because sin is serious, then we ought to take love seriously. It's the final point. Because sin is serious, we must take love serious. You see, Paul's idea of the church that's so clear in Ephesians chapter 4 is that we would be mature enough in Christ and mature enough in love to speak the truth to one another. Paul's idea of the church is that our sanctification, our growing more and more uh, free of sin and like Christ, our sanctification is not an individual endeavor, but it is a community project. This is Paul's idea of the church. Brothers and sisters, speaking the truth in love to one another, telling one another the truth about God and the truth about themselves and their need for God in a particular moment. Spiritual mothers and fathers correcting and disciplining, discipling, loving, even if it is necessary, sending away like the prodigal son. Go with the hopes that they would come back. Sanctification is a community project. According to Paul, 1 Corinthians 4.15, he says, speak the truth in love to one another. It's not just about a pastor on a stage speaking truth into your life, but it's about brothers and sisters by your side. This is why we think gospel communities are so important as a church. It's a space for us to know one another and to speak the truth and love to one another and gospel one another and to walk with each other toward Christ's likeness, living out our purposes in Jesus. And so what does this look like? How do we actually speak the truth in love to one another? We take sin seriously, and therefore we take love seriously. How do we do it? I've got three C's for you. Three C's. First is that we must care. And there's twofold to our care, two sides of the coin. We must care about people, and we must care about sin. We must care about people, and we must care about sin in their life. And we must let other people care about us and care about the sin in our life. We must care. We must care about sin. We must take it seriously. Number two, we must con courageously confront sin in others. And notice I use the word courageously because it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to say, brother, sister, husband, wife, I love you and I care about you so much that I want to point something out and I want to point you to the truth. It takes courage to do that. And so if people, by the way, if someone comes to you 
and wants to confront uh, sin in your life or things that they see in your life that look like maybe it's, it's not uh, what Jesus would have for you. It's not who you really want to be in Christ. If they, do, you, do you know how much courage it takes for them to come to you? And so everything about your natural man is going to want to like, be defensive and kind of punch back. And just know, just like when you start to feel that, know this brother or sister loves me and they're being really courageous right now. I should probably listen. I want you to know that the most transformative moments in my life have been when a brother in Christ has come to me, a sister in Christ, often my wife, has come to me and confronted sin in my life. The most transformative moments because someone loved me enough cared about me enough, took sin seriously enough to confront me. We care, we confront, and then finally, we compassionately counsel. Compassionately counsel away from sin. Sometimes that means we have to ask questions and listen. We compassionately counsel away from sin and toward Christ. This is where we speak. This is where we actually talk. This is where we say, hey, um, you know, I know your body, you've been sick, you haven't been feeling good, you're, you're, you're kind of not your best self right now, but you have been really harsh. And the scriptures say, fill in the blank. Or, you know, I, I, uh, I, I know that, 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 um, that a lot's going on, but listen, the Bible says that we ought not gossip, that we ought to speak life, we ought to encourage, we ought to turn away from that. That's the stuff of the world. And so I just, just noticed there's been a lot of like, kind of venting that really feels like glorified gossip. And th- this is how we love people. We, we, we take sin seriously and we take love seriously. We counsel people away from sin and toward Christ. And I want you to notice, I want to be clear. I want you to notice that I didn't say condemn. I didn't say control. I didn't say coerce. That, that, that's not what I'm talking about. That's abusive. And there's, there's plenty of that that goes around too in spiritual circles. That's not what I said. I'm talking about love, the way that the Apostle Paul and the way that Jesus models love. John 8, Jesus with the adulterous woman. He sees her and he loves her and he cares about her and he receives her in her sin. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Go sin no more. Go and sin no more. I'm talking about love as Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to still Rick's thunder. He has this chapter in a few weeks. But in 1 Corinthians, just flip there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is important. This is the marriage chapter. That's not really about marriage. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Look at verse 6. Love does not rejoice at what? Wrongdoings. But it rejoices in truth. Do you see the seriousness of love? This is the seriousness of love that the Bible talks about. And I want to close with this. I want you to know something. What I'm talking about today is very, very different than the way of our world right now. What I'm talking about today, this way of being as a people, as a community, is very different. It's weird of the way that other communities in the world operate right now. What do I mean? We live in a time that is confused about what it means to truly love other people. Paul writes uh, like shock going into the pool because he loves the Corinthians and because he loves Corinth, because he loves Jesus and his church. But I bet you when they stood up in their assembly and they read this letter, they didn't feel very loved. <laughs> we live in a time in our, in our society today where if you don't make someone feel loved, they say, that's hate. And sometimes when we have to tell people the truth in love, they might not feel 
love. But I want you to know something. And then there are a lot of people that will say that. People will say, well, love is about accepting people as they are. It's about never judging people. Many churches will even advertise that they're welcoming and they're affirming to all people, no matter your lifestyle. We're a, we're a loving church. Those other churches are not loving churches. I want you to know something. That is not true love. That is cheap love. That is shallow love. That is worldly love. At best, it's half love. Yes, the church of Jesus Christ ought to be the most welcoming people on the planet. The church of Jesus Christ ought to be the most caring and understanding of all, for we too once were sinners. We still are strugglers. But it is not love. We ought not to ever become a people that affirms and accepts and endorses what God calls sin. Because why? What does sin do? Sin leads to death. Sin destroys, sin kills, sin erodes because Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, our King, came to save us and free us from sin and call us into newness of life. So what is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? He's saying, cleanse out the old leaven. Take sin seriously. Don't cozy up with it, for you are already unleavened. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He's saying, take sin seriously, church. Take it seriously in your own life. It costs Jesus his life. Take sin seriously in the lives of others. Love them in a serious way. For we are Christ's body. We're not individuals. We are his body. We are his temple. The presence of his Holy Spirit dwells among us. We are his ambassadors of his kingdom in a particular time and place. Take sin seriously. Love seriously. This is God's will for us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for your scriptures, how that they are living and active. We thank you that your scripture is God-breathed and that a passage about incest in the first century world speaks to us today. It helps us today. It convicts us today. Thank you that you love us enough to convict us by your spirit sweetly and kindly to call us to repentance. Help us, Father, to be people that take sin seriously in our life, that deeply desire to live lives that are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Help us to drink deep of the gospel that Jesus lived and died, suffered, rose again, given us his spirit and his church and his word so that we could live life under your good rule, a flourishing life, a life that is full of love and truth and sincerity and faith. Help us, Lord, do that work in us. Renew us, Holy Spirit. And help us to be a church that takes love seriously, that speaks the truth, that lives a life full of grace, that, comes, uh, that, that, that cares enough to confront sin compassionately, that loves enough to point people to the truth, that, that, uh, that endures with one another. Help us, Lord. Make us your faithful people for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of our city, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.